So, so here, here's the goal for my sermon this morning, okay? My goal is to preach a sermon that is so simple, you would have to pay someone to help you misunderstand it. I mean, just the most basic, straightforward, simple thing you've ever heard. And uh, if it's not simple, it's because I screwed it up, okay? And so th- that's my goal is to just give us something that brings us back to the basics and reminds us of what it means to be a family um, living, on Jesus, uh, living on mission with Jesus. So have you ever had one of those moments in your life where the uncertainty of what's next began to rob you of the clarity that you used to have for life right now? You know, one of those moments where the uncertainty of the future blinds you to the confidence that you used to have in the presence. You know, for some of you, this was your story. You knew your whole life, I want to go to medical school, I want to be a doctor. And so you had it picked out, this is where I'll go to undergrad, and this is what I'll study, and this is how it's going to play out, and this is your journey. And you get to the end of undergrad, and you realize your grades aren't sharp enough to get into the school that you want to get into. And your test scores aren't good enough to get into the place that you want to go. And so all of a sudden, your, your, your dream begins to waver just a little bit. Maybe you get into the school that you want to go into, but you don't get through med school the way that you thought you would. And all of a sudden, what had always been certain about the future is now foggy. And you find yourself standing on the cliff of uncertainty, and all of a sudden, the uncertainty of what's next begins to uh, impair your ability to know what you need to do right now. Have you ever been there before? Maybe for some of you, it's been a relationship. You know, you've, you've been dating that guy for two and a half years. And in your mind, it was just a done deal. His family thought you were getting married. Your family thought you were getting married. You thought you were getting married. And in just a normal moment, he lets you down easy. And all of a sudden, the certainty of what's next begins to unravel, and you find yourself standing on the edge going, okay, I don't think I know what's next anymore. And because I don't know what's next, I'm not sure what it is that I need to do right now. Or your, your mom calls you, and she tells you your dad has passed away, that pillar in your family. It wasn't even sick. You you weren't expecting it. It wasn't that thing. And all of a sudden, because you don't know what's next, you don't know what to do right now. Have you ever been there before where the uncertainty of the what next blinds you to the what's now? I remember when I was 21 years old, I got my first job in full-time ministry. And in so many ways, it was, it was my dream job. I got hired to, to launch a campus ministry on the campus that I had just attended in undergrad. I was so excited about it. I had cast vision for it. I had raised money for it. I was planning to do it. I remember my first day on the job. I, I sit down at this desk. You know, I was the first one to ever sit in that desk for that job. And I'm there at that, at that desk, and all of a sudden, just this wave of uncertainty hits me. And I remember just being there going, hey, I got the job, but what next? <laughs> I hadn't thought this far. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought about school, and I thought about graduation, and I thought about the job, but I hadn't thought about, like, what next? And I remember sitting down at that desk going, I have no idea what it means to be a pastor. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And so I remember just going, okay, what do pastors do? This is a bad question to be asking. I'm like, what do we do? And so I remember I thought, I think we read the Bible. And so it's been the first hour. I have, I have a devotional, true story. I'm sitting there at my desk. I, I'm having this devotional. And then I get bored doing that about 45 minutes in. I know I'm not supposed to get bored, but that's what happened. I got, I got bored. And so I tried to pray for a little bit. And I have spiritual ADD, so my mind's all over the place. And I've now effectively managed the first hour of my career as a pastor. But I thought, what next? So I remember getting in my car and doing what a pastor who doesn't know what to do does. I drove down to Lifeway Christian Bookstore, and I bought a Bible. True story. 
throw down, even though I had like 10, uh, you know, I thought I'll just buy a Bible and a, a day planner, you know, because now I have a job. And on day two of my job, I lost that day planner. True story. <laughs> so it, it helped me for one day in, in my career. And I remember getting back and I sit down at the desk and I now have five and a half hours left. And I just remember going, what next? And remember, because I didn't know what was next, I didn't know what to do now. And I remember just my mind racing and just going, oh, you know, maybe I picked the wrong career. I mean, I'm like two and a half hours in. I'm like, maybe, maybe I picked wrong. I don't know what to do. And so I remember calling my dad, who's been in pastoral ministry for nearly 40 years now. And I call him. And I remember, I'm like, dad, I have no idea what to do next. I have no idea how to get myself out of the situation I'm in. And I'll never forget a statement that he made to me in that moment of uncertainty. He said, Dave, when you don't know what to do next, do what you do, do what you know to do right now. When you don't know what to do next, do what you know to do right now. And I remember hearing that, and I'm like, Dad, are you drunk? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, I have, I have no idea. Like, I'm calling you because I don't know what to do right now. And I remember him just talking to me on the phone. He says, he says, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. He says, there's some things that you know to do. He says, Dave, you know how to connect with God. Get on your knees and connect with God. He says, Dave, you know how to love the students on that campus. Get out there and love the students on that campus. Dave, you know how to share your story with people that don't know Jesus. Get out there, find someone that doesn't know Jesus, and share your story with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When you don't know what to do next, do what you know to do right now. And there was something about the clarity that my father spoke that began to burn off the fog of my uncertainty. There was something about the clarity of what it is that I knew that led me into the uncertainty of what I didn't know to do. And I think this is important for us because I think as a culture, especially as a Christian culture, we find ourselves standing on the edge of uncertainty. We find ourselves standing on the edge of a season in our culture where there is racial tension and there is political tension and there is national tension and global tension and religious tension. And if you were to listen to Christians speaking around the culture, you hear this sense of, man, we don't exactly know what's next. We don't know what's going to happen after Tuesday. We don't know what that's going to mean. We don't know what the next week or the next month or the next year or the next decade is going to look like. But if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, here's what I want you to hear me to say. No matter what happens on Tuesday, we still have a mission on Wednesday. No matter what happens next week and next month and next, next year, God has still called us to be about something right now. And we're going to wake up in the future. We're going to wake up on Wednesday, no matter what happens on Tuesday. And you're going to have the same neighbors. And you're going to have the same family members. And you're going to have the same coworkers. And you've got to decide in the face of the uncertainty of what's next. Will you be and will you do who Jesus has called you to be and what he has called you to do right now? And when you don't know what to do, will you do what you know to do? See, the beauty of this journey that we're being called into, this great mission, is our certainty in Christ is anchored in a very distant future. 
which means the nearness of the uncertainty of our future doesn't seem to shake us so much anymore. Does that make sense? This is what I love about 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing to this group of Christians that are standing face to face with so much uncertainty. And I'll just give you the cliff notes of their context. They were experiencing uh, the, the oppression of their, of their life and of their culture in the public sphere. They were living under the reign of this Roman emperor, a guy named Nero. He was the worst leader you could ever think of. He makes Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton look like Mother Teresa. I mean, Nero was the worst leader you could have ever asked for as a follower of Jesus. And they found themselves facing this uncertain future as they looked at who was sitting on the throne of their country. There's this pressure in the public sphere of their life. A lot of the Christians were on the margins and on the bottom of the culture. In fact, a lot of them were actually slaves. First Peter chapter 2, he speaks to those that are entrapped in slavery and they're looking at their professional lives and their professional lives are experiencing all sorts of pressure and oppression as well. And a lot of them were on the bottom of their private lives. And what I mean by that is a lot, of the, a lot of the early church were made up of women who had virtually zero rights in their culture. And I just want you to hear me say this very clearly. Jesus was not an oppressor of women. Jesus was the liberator of women. And when culture could see nothing in, him, in them, Jesus could. It was amazing what he would do. And he would speak into their lives and he'd speak into their hearts. And so many of these Christian women were, were being oppressed. They had no idea what to do. And I love this because Peter, this friend of Jesus, one of the earliest leaders in the church, in this season where the Christians did not know what was next, he reminded them of what it meant to be faithful right now. When they didn't know what to do next, he said, this is what it is that God has called us to do. And I want you to look at this one verse. We're going to look at one verse together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. I don't know if you memorize scripture. I'd encourage you to memorize this passage this week. It's such a powerful scripture. Peter looks at them in the midst of their uncertainty and he gives them this clarion call of clarity. And this is what he says to them. He says, this is your mission. He says, your mission as followers of Jesus, verse 12, is to live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the, way, on the day that he visits us. I'm going to read that one more time. He says, this is your mission, to live such good lives among the pagans that even though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, I want you to notice where the mission starts. Peter looks at him and he says, I know you don't know what's next, but I want to tell you what you need to be about right now. And he says, and before you're so worried about what's happening out there, we need to be far more concerned with what's happening in here and in here. Before we're so worried about the culture, we need to really examine ourselves. We need to really examine our hearts and our lives. And he says, this is the starting place. He says, the starting place is that you make the determination that even though you don't know what's next, that right now you're going to live such a good life. In our American ears, we can hear this through all sorts of lens. He's not talking about the American dream here. He's not encouraging them to, to live safe, comfortable, predictable lives. No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, this is synonymous for just saying, I want you to live the Jesus life, to do what Jesus did, to love as Jesus loved. And how did Jesus love a difficult culture? He got on his knees and he washed its feet. He spread open his arms and he died on a cross. When they were insulting him and they're speaking against him, it says he didn't retaliate. He prayed for them. He says Jesus is the definition of the good life, and this is what Peter says. He says, when you don't know what to do next, here's what you do right now. He says, you begin by looking at your life 
in deciding whether or not you want to live the way that Jesus lives. And this is really important because somehow in the American church, we have divorced these two realities. We have said that you can be a Christian and have a life that looks nothing like Christ. It's fundamentally impossible. Fundamentally impossible. He said, I want you to live like Jesus lives. I want you to live the good life. He doesn't say, I just want you to think the right things about Jesus. He doesn't say, I just want you to get together on Sundays and sing the right things about Jesus. He says, no, I want your life. I want your life to be marked by the goodness of Jesus. He says, live such good lives, but he keeps going. The mission doesn't stop with us living such good lives. Where does it go in the rest of the verse? He says, live such good lives amongst the what? The pagans. Now, I know in our 21st century, that's not a word that we tend to love. Like, you know, our mission at Ethos is not love God, love pagans. Like, that, that, that word doesn't, like, roll over too well But in our culture. But in their culture, do you know what that meant? Do you know what that meant? That just meant someone that didn't like Jesus. That's all it meant. It meant someone that wasn't in step with Jesus yet. And I want you to notice what Peter says. Peter says, when you don't know what to do next, here's what you do now. You live the Jesus life in close proximity to and in close proximity with people that don't like Jesus yet. He says, that's it. He says, this is the essence of Christianity. It's not just the pursuit of the good life. It's not just the pursuit of the Jesus life. It's the pursuit of the Jesus life in every sphere of life so that those you know and love who don't yet know and love Jesus will see your good life and they'll glorify God. That's what Peter is saying. I told you this is simple. So simple, you gotta pay someone to help you misunderstand it. He says, listen, here's the essence of the mission. To live like Jesus among people who don't like Jesus so that one day they'll love Jesus. To live like Jesus among people who don't like Jesus so that one day those people will love Jesus. This is the essence of why God birthed this church eight years ago. And this is the essence of who we will be eight days in eight years in 80 years from now. This is the essence of that. Is that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, that God would help us to move beyond religion and to start living like Jesus amongst people who don't yet like Jesus so that one day all people will come to love Jesus. And this is what he says. I want you to hear this. He says, your life is a sermon. Fact. The question is, what kind of sermon is your life preaching? Your life is a sermon. And he looks at him and he says, make sure the sermon of your life is one worth imitating. He says, live such a good life among people who don't yet know Jesus that one day they will worship Jesus. And it just makes me wrestle with this question. It makes me ask the question. I go, come on, guys. Come on, gals. What is the sermon that our lives at Ethos is preaching? What sermon is your life preaching to the person that you're dating? The person that you're dating right now, are they being blown away by the glory and the holiness of God in you? What about your coworkers? What sermon are they hearing in your life? 
What about your children? I know you're dragging them here to church, but what are they seeing in the privacy of your home? See, Peter understood the most powerful sermons that we would proclaim would not be the words that we would speak, it would be the lives that we live. The way that we give and the way that we serve and the way that we worship and the way that we love and the way that we die to ourselves for the glory of God and the good of all people so that one day they'll come to know and love and worship Jesus just like we get to. That's the essence of what it means for us to be here on mission at Ethos. The truth is, in the midst of the uncertainty of our culture, it's kind of a weird week this week. Don't know if you've heard or not, there's an election, right? And here's the deal. Um, that matters. That matters. It's important. And how you vote or don't vote matters. I'm not getting all political on you, so you can breathe easy. Here's what I want you to hear, though. I am way more concerned with how you live than with how you vote. Because how you live is your vote. And if Christians would be more concerned with how we live than how our friends vote, man, this thing would look a lot different. If all of a sudden we would really say, hey, let's live like Jesus together. And not just honor him with our words and go into the privacy of a booth and punch a button and think that we did our civic duty. No. The Lord has invited us into the fray of uncertainty. And when we don't know what to do next, do what we know to do now. And what we know to do now is to love and to honor and to live like Jesus among those who don't love and honor and live like Jesus so that one day all the people of the earth will love and honor and live like Jesus. That's what it means for us to be a church. And that's what it means for us to step into the future. And the future is bright because we know who's on the throne. Because we come into this season together, I just want to leave you with two questions to wrestle with, two simple questions. Question number one, are you living the good life? Are you living the good life? I'm not asking about the person next to you. I'm not asking about your parents. I'm not asking about your neighbors. I'm asking, like, are you living the Jesus life? And I have this conversation with people all the time and I'll ask them that question and it's amazing how many times Christians will look at me and they'll say, no, I'm not really living the Jesus life. And they're totally okay with it. And I go, if your answer to that question is no, don't be okay with that. (laughs) Sydney and I will get to travel around the country and we spend a lot of time with different church leaders. And a lot of times, one of the questions that they're wrestling with when we come to visit their churches is, how does our church live on mission with Christ? And I think they're always looking for some, like, you know, like, you know, silver bullet answer. But one of my favorite things to do is when I sit down with a group of leaders, we'll literally just get one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And we'll take a couple of hours and we'll literally just read one of the gospels out loud together. And here's the assignment that I give them. I say, here's a piece of paper. Every time you see Jesus doing something awesome, just write it down. And so we'll read, and I mean, people are getting carpal tunnel, they're writing so fast. I mean, because Jesus is just doing amazing things, right? He's healing the sick, and he's loving the poor, and he's releasing the oppressed, and he's uh, resurrecting the dead. I mean, just all in a day's work for Jesus, just an amazing guy, right? And they're writing it down. And so we'll get to the end of that little journey. Okay, we read the gospel, and we wrote down what Jesus did. And then I'll just always look at him, and this is what I say. Just do what he did. They're like, we paid you for that? I'm like, yes, <laughs> just do that. His life is the invitation. 
And you don't need anyone's permission to do what Jesus has already invited you to do. And the first question that I just want to challenge you to really wrestle with this week in your house, church, and in your homes and your families is, hey, are we living like Jesus? Are we helping each other live like Jesus? Do we care to live like Jesus? You know, the truth is, there are some of you that have been Christians a long time. I say this with love and grace. You may not know me, so I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit will help you hear this correctly, okay? One of the great burdens on my heart is that there are a lot of American Christians that are just not overly interested in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. There are a lot of churchgoers who are not overly interested in Jesus. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we have no desire here. We want to be a place where you can be in process. We want you to come as you are and to grow into all that God has made you to be. But if, if you're just looking for a place where you can come and get some good worship and get a sermon and kind of check off all the boxes and give a little bit of money, give a little bit of service and leave. Honestly, you're welcome here. We're just probably not going to be the best place for you. Because we're not interested in just sitting around and thinking about the good life of Jesus. We want to actually live it. And we want to help you live it. I want you to help me live it. And we're going to try to push each other into that with grace and with conviction because there's more. There's more of God. And I want to invite you into that. So question number one, are we living the good life? Question number two. Question number two. Are we living the good life among people that need to see it? Are you living the good life amongst the people that need to see it? You know, some of you, you look at your work, you look at your family, you look at your friends, you look at your spouse, and everywhere you see opportunity you see people that don't love Jesus and you go, I have opportunity all around me. Here's what I'm praying for those of you that have opportunity that has been, that has been uh, not taken a hold of yet. Here's my prayer for you is for boldness. I'm praying that if, if you know you have the opportunity but you haven't taken it to live the good life among people that don't yet know Jesus, I'm just praying for boldness for you. There's some of you though, you look around your life and you go, I don't know that I have opportunity. All my friends at work are Christian. My family's Christian. My neighbors are Christian. My dogs are Christian. Everybody is Christian around me. I don't know where, I don't know how to live the good life among people. And here's what I just want to challenge you. If, if I pray boldness for one half of our church, for the rest of you, I'm just going to pray for deep intentionality. Deep intentionality. Because the truth is, you may need the Lord to help you burst the bubble of your life to get out into the city to, to join a mom's group, uh, to, to join a softball league, uh, to instead of watching the, the football game on your couch, to go to the sports bar and to get in close proximity with people who don't yet know the goodness of the life that you're trying to live. But the goal is not just for you to be among them. The goal is for what? Us to live such good lives among them. That they'll see you and the hardness of their hearts towards God will be softened by the kindness of your life and the beauty of Jesus enters in. Wow. That is the mission, should you choose to accept it. It's who we are. It's who we've been. And it's where we're going. When you don't know what to do next, do what you need to do now. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to serve? Who do you need to pray for? Because the mission is forcefully advancing. 
And as Jesus says, only forceful women and men take hold of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. God, thank you for what you've done over the last eight years, and should it be your, your desire and your will, what it is that you want to do in the eight years that are ahead of us. God, would you give us the strength, would you give us the, the vision to, to make the difficult decisions in the midst of uncertainty and to live as you live, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh on our church because we know that we can't live the Jesus life without the help of the Spirit. That we can't live the Jesus life without the grace of Jesus. Oh, we need these things. We need you. We want you. Lord, I pray that this morning, even as we're worshiping in your presence, that you would commission us into the spaces that you've already sent us. And that you'd give us a new level of clarity to live and to breathe and to act as Jesus acts so that the people around us will come to know how amazing he is. I love you, Lord. I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank you for this church family. Would you make us more like you? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen.